I'm going to kind of jump right in uh, to uh, our, um, our sermon this morning. You know, I told you last week that this is a season called Kingdom Tide. So basically, this is the second Sunday after Pentecost and Kingdom Tide, where we lean into the great acts of God and Christ Jesus and the gospel narratives. It's the longest season in the, in the life of the church before we come back to Advent and get to Christmas and start all over again. And so what happens oftentimes during the season of Kingdom Tide is that we have lots of traditions, lots of celebrations, lots of holidays that correspond with this particular season. Today is a beautiful example of that. June, we're in the middle of Pride Month. Um, also to today is Juneteenth, and it's also Father's Day. And so I believe that the best way for us to hold all these things together is with this idea of liberation, because liberation holds things together. Liberation is compelling. And we're going to uh, find ourselves located in the first chapter of Exodus, Exodus, which is known as kind of the book of liberation and freedom within the Old Testament. It is a book that reminds us of the beauty of a God who does not like to see God's people bound. And that freedom comes in lots of different ways. Freedom comes in the ways in which God provides for us and doesn't cause us to hustle for God's love. Freedom comes in the ways in which we are given rest practices so that we are not pharaohs to ourselves or we don't enslave other people's bodies with our mismanagement of work and rest. But also, there's a major liberative moment in Exodus that reminds us that God is yoked to liberation and also invites us to be co-laborers in that. And I'll say this over and over again today because it's the thesis of what we are going to hold on to with the word read and also proclaimed. I am going to read from Exodus chapter 1, and I want to just share before I read this passage that there is mention of infanticide. And um, in, in light of all of the things that we have had to hold in the news, I don't want to too quickly just like read this passage of scripture and believe that all of us can like hold, uh, hold that right now. Um, I don't watch the news every single day because um, I know as a human, being human-sized, I can only hold so much. So I'm going to invite you, if you need, like, you're like, you know what, maybe I'll just, like, take some of Lisa's bullet points when she starts the sermon, but I'm not quite sure I feel comfortable listening to this passage of Scripture. Because in the Old Testament, there are what they're called texts of terror. Uh, th these passages of Scripture that remind us that humanity is very broken, and there are moments when we can be incredibly unjust to each other. So I share that as a, a means of you being able to take care of yourself however you need to take care of yourself. Reading scripture is not for you to have to like bear with it or bear through it. But instead, um, it is a living word, which means that we too have agency. Okay. So hear now these words from Exodus chapter 1. I'm going to begin with the 8th through the 11th verses, and then we'll skip down to the 15th through the 21st verse. And it says this, now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them or they will increase and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. Then in verse 15. Well, actually, before I go to verse 15, so um, uh, the, the Pharaoh of Egypt 
puts these taskmasters over the, the Israelites and, um, and actually says, made life very bitter and hard and difficult for the Israelites. And yet the Israelites continue to multiply and be strong. <laughs> Sometimes multiplication is resistance. Joy is resistance. And then in verse 15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphra and the other Pua, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? Now, verse 19 is what we call um, uh, a way of like uh, a, a, a reversal or turning things on its head. The midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, God gave them families. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we've only read a snippet, a very small snippet of um, this Exodus story found in the, the book of Exodus. And yet I can tell you this, if you were to read the, the entire Exodus narrative, it reads like a drama. I mean, there are so many things that happen in those chapters that make you recognize, like, there's always this back and forth between God's agency and also people's agency. There's this back and forth between those who are committed to the liberation of others and those who are not committed to the liberation of others. And it is up and down and valleys and roller coasters and plagues. And it is, it's a whole lot going. All the things happen in the Exodus story. And here we have this small snippet. And even in these first 21 verses of Exodus chapter 1, we have this commission to, to literally obliterate the lives of um, the Hebrew women's children. In the midst of all of this drama in the Exodus narrative, the thing you need to hold on to is that the Exodus story is anchored in, and basically the thesis is that God is not at rest with the fact that God's people, who are known as the Israelites in this uh, particular narrative, um, that they are enslaved. And so all of the Exodus narrative is committed to um, God's restlessness being enacted in a commission over Moses, who becomes the great ambassador for freedom. Let my people go. Moses is the great ambassador for freedom, who goes into um, Egypt and who brings... Um, God's people out. And in the third chapter of Exodus, which we did not read, it says that God hears the cries of God's people and is so deeply moved by their hardship and by their oppression and then sends a human agent to be um, the embodiment of what it looks like to free up other people. But before you get to the third chapter, before you get to Moses, there are other characters all along the way in Exodus who are committed and participating in God's liberation acts. Which is a reminder to us that even if we never get to be like a great Moses, if we don't get to be like a Rosa Parks or a Martin Luther King Jr. or um, a uh, Archbishop uh, Romero, we still can find characters who remind us of ourselves and how we can participate in God's mighty acts of liberation. And so we hear of these two, these two women, these two midwives 
who do a great thing before the Pharaoh, Shifra and Pua. How many of you have ever heard of Shifra and Pua? Yeah, not too many people like dress up as them at, for Halloween, but I tell you friends, next Halloween, Shifra and Pua is where it's at. Here's what happens. Shifra and Pua are these midwives. And, and think about their, their work. They bring life into the world among those who find themselves bound and enslaved. Like they literally are like the embodiment of like resistance, this powerful and beautiful act of birthing possibilities in the midst of uh, a thwarted imagination about the Israelites' bodies. And the Israel, excuse me, the Egyptians have this moment where all of a sudden they see the multiplication of um, the, the Israelites and they start to feel a little threatened by the folks that they, that they have enslaved. And this threat looks like fear. Remember what, they, what, what, the, what the king of Egypt says, oh my goodness, what if they outnumber us? And what if they decide to join up with our enemies? And what if they decide they want to escape? Which um, has this like underlying, what if they do to us what we have done to them? Ooh. Whenever there is threat and fear, it almost always leads to oppression. Whenever there's this like, um, this, this feeling that, oh my goodness, the way in which I have enacted power over someone else, they might do the same thing to me. Instead of thinking differently about the way you distribute power, you say, let's oppress a little bit harder. Jim Crow laws literally came out of this feeling, like, oh my goodness, what if? <laughs> what if? But it's a it's a fear that oppresses and harms. And so the Pharaoh comes to these midwives and says, listen, here's the strategy of oppression that I want you to participate in with me. <laughs> when these mothers are birthing, here's who I want you to hold sacred. Here's who I don't want you to hold sacred. This is, this is my, my, my plan based out of fear. But the Pharaoh's fear is met with Shifra and Pua's faith. It says that Shifra and Pua feared God. Now, I want you to understand the way feared God is, um, is, is couched or understood is not the same kind of fear that the king of Egypt has. Because um, when you hear scriptures that say, oh, and they, they feared God, they feared God, it is not, and they cowered before God, or, or that they were like um, suppressed or oppressed by God, or that they were like made to do something. Let's remember, God is a God of invitation. <laughs> Yea, I stand at the door and knock. When God could just very easily say, patow, you know, like I'm going to come through the door. That's not the way in which um, the God of, of the heavens and the earth operates. This fear that is used to talk about the faith of Shifra and Pua means more like to have a reverence, to, to, to have a, um, a sense of, um, of connection to the goodness of God. That there's something about God that, um, that, that, that brings overflow, that it is, it is greater to yoke yourself to God's ways than it would be to yoke yourself to the other ways that might produce a different kind of fear. This fear 
makes more. That the fear of King Egypt, the king of Egypt, makes less. It breaks. It's not brilliant. And so Shifra and Puha make the decision that they're just not going to do what the Pharaoh told them to do. They don't take out the Pharaoh's orders. They simply say no. And when they are asked, and this is why I said that verse 19 is like a reversal. When they're asked, they're like, well, by the time we get there, um, these children have already been, have been born in the world. And there's sometimes, and maybe one day when I have a little more time, I'll preach about these passages of scripture where there's this reversal moment. This, this way of, um, of, of, of being a, a, about justice that might look confounding to the ways of the world. Shifra and Pua say no. They resist. Might I say that this morning that this sermon is going to be very simple? Because there wasn't like some mighty edict that came over Shifra and Pua's life. There wasn't some grand plan that Shifra and Pua had to kind of lay out. There wasn't even any training that Shifra and Pua had to, um, had to, to, to lean into, you know, the, the, the great freedom school. N none of that. They simply, in their act of resistance that moved towards liberation, said, no, we will not participate. And sometimes for us, resistance that leads to liberation just looks like us choosing not to participate. Saying no to the things that make others feel small or marginalized or pushed to the fringes. Sometimes it's actively believing that the way in which God makes space for all of us, we can make space for all of us. Sometimes resistance that leads to liberation is not starting from a place of scarcity, but beginning with a place of abundance. That even if they multiply, and even if they're strong, we too can be strong. We too can have everything that we need. Sometimes moving towards liberation means believing in a God of liberation, having a reverence for the ways in which God wants to free us, unbound us, unleash us. And then also to believe that somehow, some way, in our spheres of influence and with our very lives, we might also to be agents of liberation. There are so many uh, voices that came out of the civil rights movement in particular that would say that my freedom and your freedom, my liberation and your liberation, my flourishing and your flourishing, my life abundantly, your life abundantly are bound up in each other. I want everyone to be able to pay their property taxes, even if I can pay mine. Sometimes it's just saying, okay, God, God, you are a God of liberation, which may mean that if I bend my life towards you, that I need to also to be about the things that keep people free. Here's the other thing that I want to share. I think it can be very dangerous when we make faith into formulas. If you do this, then you get this. 
if you say this, then you, uh, you will, you will, you will, um, uh, this will be your reward. Because it can turn our faith into like jumping through holy hoops. And then folks around us who wonder when they're going through difficult circumstances um, may begin to question, am I not doing something right? Or are you doing something better? So I want you to hear this. I am not talking about formulaic faith as I offer up this really beautiful piece of good news that comes out of Exodus chapter 1. In Shifra and Pua's faith over and against the king of Egypt's fear, it says that God dealt well with them and gave them good things because of their good work. I know for me, especially in this season, and I want you to hear this, oftentimes when I think about what does it look like to be um, an ambassador for liberation or to yoke myself to resistance or to be about the things that might be for other people's flourishing, my head will first go to what will I lose? Like what will be the cost? And there's good reason for that, okay? Because there is sometimes danger involved when you, when you yoke with one who's like an everyone. All, all is a threat <laughs> that all can have power, that all can have everything they need. There's, there's real sometimes danger that comes. But let us not also forget that this God of life, this God who created the heavens and the earth, this God who is also committed to liberation, that we might all know what it is like to live life and life more abundantly, is also a God who is for us and will bless us when we yoke ourselves to the things that bless others. Now, what that might look like, I cannot say. You get a pony and you get a pony. I, that I don't, I don't know. And I cannot say that uh, to be agents of liberation will never come with some level of cost. What I know is that the God of liberation is with us even as we choose to be those who help others to know that they too can be free. So I want to end with the blessing. For us in this space who resist doing things that harm, might you be blessed. For those of us in this space who choose to move at the impulse of God's love, may you be blessed. For those of you who find folks hiding or living small and reminding them that they are the very good creation, may you be blessed. For everywhere you use your hands and your feet and your voice to be about God's good liberation in this world, may you be blessed. We who serve a God of liberation, who then makes us liberators, may we be like Shifra and Pua and resist to move towards liberation so that all of us might be blessed. Will you pray with me?
Gracious God, some of us know what it's like to feel bound up. Some of us know what it feels like to live with a constant threat of danger. Some of us know what it feels like to not feel like we are living free. And yet many of us have stories of how God's goodness, God's power, God's might, and God's justice unleashed us so that we could live out of the fullness of our humanity, to know ourselves emancipated, to know ourselves liberated, to not live by the script of the empire, but the God-soaked plan that God has for us. So gracious God, if we are those who can boast of those stories, may you give us the courage and also the faith to be at work in this world so that all might know what it is to live free. And as much as that sometimes sounds like, oh, pie in the sky thinking, might we be reminded that nothing is impossible for you so that we would not start our liberation movement from a place of scarcity, but that we might wed ourselves to a place of abundance in the ways in which we believe. God, on this Juneteenth, we'll remember those who could taste and see that freedom was good. May that be the banner over our lives, not only this day, but in the days to come. We ask all of this and we pray all of this in the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.